someone would get the original manga in Japan, scan it with a scanner, they'd send it to these guys, they were almost always in the US, so it'd just be like a normal English sentence, with just random Japanese words put in. Like, you are my nakama. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's all going according <laughs> to Keikaku and stuff like that, yeah. Hey guys, welcome back to the Kodakata Podcast. This week we talked to Ethan O'Brien, who is a professional Japanese translator. We talk about the intricacies of translating what it takes to become a translator and his personal journey with Japanese. But as you guys know, you gotta go translate this and follow us on Twitter. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Ethan can give us a quick background of who you are and where you're at today. Yeah, so I moved to Japan in 2016 after I graduated university and I worked there for over three years. And then I came back to Ireland to do my master's in translation studies, so Japanese to English, and then stuff it. I was supposed to go back to Japan, so I've been staying in Ireland doing uh, translation work for Japanese companies. You actually you wrote it like a dissertation about translation, right? Yeah. So part of the masters was well, I was I was interested in like Japanese media translation. I didn't know if that's what I'd get to do afterwards, but I was like, in the masters we can do whatever we want, so you may as well do whatever you're interested in kind of thing. Basically, translation studies is essentially trying to analyze translations, trying to like break down the decision-making process and what, say, back in the 15th century, it would be like super literal because they thought if they're translating the Bible, it's the word of God. It has to be exactly whatever way it was written to then, you know, over time, people are like, well, maybe we should do it a bit more this way. And then some other people somewhere else being like, we should do it more this way. But there's all these like people who have different lenses of like analyzing translations different ways. So what we have to do is basically pick a topic we like and then choose a lens that made sense for analyzing that and then analyze some work, get like a few different works, analyze them, and that would be your dissertation. You could also do like an extended translation project, but I was kind of more interested in analyzing stuff because I thought you can kind of learn more that way rather than just doing something yourself. My professor actually, he's a big kind of expert on Rakugo. So he's written books about like the Osaka comedy scene and things like this. So I was kind of talking about ideas with him and he knew some uh, guys who did manga translation and I was kind of talking to them as well through email and I was kind of trying to figure out what topic would be interesting and something I was always interested in was kind of scanlation versus like official translation because there's like so much discussion about that online a lot of people who maybe grew up reading scanlations they maybe don't like official translation sometimes because they're more used to scanlations. Can you define what are scanlations? Right, yeah. So scanlations are essentially someone would get the original uh, manga in Japan. In, back in the old days, they used to literally like scan it with a scanner. They'd send it to these guys. They were almost always in the US. They would then use like old school photo editing software to like remove all the Japanese text and then they would themselves translate that and like back in let's say like the 80s and 90s that was for a lot of people that was like the only way they could read manga because it wasn't distributed in the US it wasn't distributed anywhere else 
So that's what it started does for a while. And then a lot of those like scan laters back in those days ended up working for like Viz and all these like major publishers as like in-house translators. And then later what started happening was like more when like manga was really starting to boom, say in like the early to mid 2000s, it was more about like people just wanted more now for free essentially so what you would have is whereas before it might be hard to access manga it was like people could access manga more now but people wanted it faster and they wanted it like the same day it came out in japan or something like that so you'd get these groups that would like organize online and they'd say okay we're going to the next naruto that comes out we're going to get it and we're going to translate it first and we're going to put it up online and then tons of people are going to read it and a lot of what they do is like host them on their own website or something so they could get like ad revenue and stuff like this some didn't but some did do that and then so it became this thing where before it was like okay no one had access to it and now we're translating it so that people have access to it to now groups kind of trying to get it done as quickly as they could so that they would get like the most clout essentially um, and that became a really big thing and a lot of like Bleach and Naruto and One Piece and stuff like this would be scanlated and uploaded really fast and then people would read those. So you can imagine like these were amateur groups and especially if your aim is speed, you know, it's obviously going to be a very different end product to someone who's doing it with the idea that we've got like whatever amount of time we have to get the highest quality we can in that amount of time and we're going to like have like a pipeline of people and editors and proofreaders and stuff to get it perfect by the end of that it became like a very different thing so i was analyzing those scanlations essentially i was like looking at the scanlated version looking at the official translated version and kind of analyzing them and seeing like what what are the difference like what kind of different decisions get made when someone's trying to do it online for free as fast as they can versus someone who's maybe a professional translator now maybe they used to do that in the past like a lot of them did but now yeah. they're working in-house for like a publisher on this stuff and it was super interesting because you know a lot of people make fun of the fact that um with scanlations they'd be like there's a lot of screenshots of this there'd be like just japanese words just thrown into sentences Right? So it would just be like a normal English sentence with just random Japanese words put in. Like, you are my nakama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all going according <laughs> to Keikaku and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, that's and, classic uh, right there. Yeah, exactly. So, like, <laughs> those things, when you look at them, you're like, oh, that's really weird. Like, why would they do that? But there's obviously a reason. And the reason, well, one reason yeah. is kind of, I guess, kind of gatekeeping, kind of like, oh, look, if you're in the group, of people who are like super into this stuff you're gonna know what that means because we all know what that means you know and but another thing of it is when you really get into it a lot of like scanlation is obviously anonymous right so like you don't interact with the person who does that that person isn't making like youtube videos telling you how you should translate stuff so like the text itself is essentially kind of like a teaching manual because it has like they'll translate a sentence and then below they'll have like asterisks and notes like explaining like their thinking processes right. and stuff Kaku like this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. nakama means yeah. friend <laughs> <laughs> 
but even like some of the like cultural <laughs> stuff it's like yeah it's very like hidden miss sometimes they do this and sometimes they don't it really depends let's say someone's reading these scanlations in 2005 and they're really into them right they're like learning through reading it like they're basically learning the style guide for scanlations by reading these things and reading all these notes and then they pick it up and then they're the next ones to do it and then they're doing the same thing so they're writing all these notes they're like explaining all this stuff and then the next readers are doing it so it becomes this thing where it's like for like the scanlation to continue they kind of have to do it that way because if you don't explain your thinking process and you don't like show your work it's just going to end with you and like these people they don't do it for very long they'll do it for like one two years because like who's going to do that much work for free when you're an adult with a job essentially you know so yeah it was really interesting because it just wasn't what i expected like people are just like oh like it's just really bad it's just whatever but there's there's a lot of reasons why that kind of stuff the way they do things that way stays that way i think beyond just they don't know how to translate it or something which sometimes does happen i mean like sometimes i analyze them and there'd be passages where you're like oh this guy just did not understand this and they just wrote something that they thought fit the conversation like that definitely does happen sometimes but uh yeah it was <laughs> super like interesting words in to people's mouths <laughs> yeah wait i feel like that even happens for professional ones because i've seen that on netflix or maybe netflix doesn't have professional translators i don't know how that works it's weird with netflix i've, I've never done anything with netflix but i've heard it can be pretty tough i don't know subtitles and dubs gets really weird because there's so much like limitations and I, I think as well with games, a lot of people don't realize you have like extremely limited space on the screen. Like I'm not sure what it is for Netflix, right. but like let's say for like a lot of games and stuff, it'll be like 48 characters per line and like two lines. And if you if you get like two lines of Japanese, that's like just compound kanji. Like, there's no way you're going to be able to write every bit of information out right. in 48 characters. So there's a lot like of that stuff screen. as well. <laughs> yeah. Or it would take, like, you know, they say something in, like, one second, and, like, it takes, like, like 10 seconds to get through all the... Yeah. <laughs> and a bunch of asterisks. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Or words. just pauses, and then, like, an audio description yeah. comes up and explains everything <laughs> to you. Yeah. You know, you, you see that kind of stuff, and you think, like... The, person's first instinct obviously is oh there's something weird going on they mustn't have understood it or they have a really weird style or something like that but then a lot of times when you look at the inner workings of it there's like there's probably some probably some good reasons there isn't always a good reason but... are there guidelines for like dubs um in general because like if you watch any like american show dubbed in japanese it's like the way they speak or like even just like we looked at a script, it's extremely dramatic. Um, it's like highly exaggerated and not like realistic. And I wonder if that's like on purpose. It's different for everyone. So like, especially with Netflix, their style guides for subtitling and dubbing and everything are actually online to see because I think they have a lot of freelancers. So like, I think right. like basically they all just kind of try and do the same style guide. But I've seen like some uh anime shows where what they do is you've got like the original script then that gets translated so like normally it would be like you know there's a translator and then there's an editor who goes and reads like 
in, in parallel to make sure like nothing's off or whatever. And then you've got a proofreader who just reads like the target text to check there's no grammar or style mistakes or whatever the style guide is. But then with like a lot of shows, what they do is they've got like uh, a person who adapts that. So like the, the translation's been done, but then you've got like a, like a, a show writer who basically is like rewrites it. Like they're not gonna look at the original text at all. They're just gonna rewrite it so that it like sounds good and sounds natural in that language. It doesn't happen for every show, right. but it does happen for some shows. And that's probably why when you see that and you see like, if you look at the Japanese one and then you look at the English one, you're like, there's like some big leaps happening here. It's like the translator probably didn't do that. It's probably like there was an additional writer at the end who was like changing stuff to make it flow better or make it work better for the audience. Oh, I guess like how good um, do you think you have to be to start translating? And like how good would you say your own Japanese is like today? Yeah, that's a really hard one. And I remember when like I was in my MA, I asked my uh, one of the, the lecturers that and they were like, it really depends on the person. There's like there's so many factors because I think the biggest thing with most people is of like a lot of it is research skills. Like how good are your research skills? Because like you can be like decent at reading, but if you can like spot like it depends, like some people will not spot when they misunderstand something. But then other people will be like, I don't, I don't understand this. I think this phrase is different from what I think it is. And they'll double, triple check it. And they'll like find out what for sure it is. And so if you think about it that way, someone could be like really, really good at Japanese. And they're like flying through the stuff. But if they're not like good at identifying like when they maybe don't understand 100% or maybe when something sounds off, but someone's not as good but they're like always able to tell when they don't have it 100% and they check it. That person, do you know what I mean? So it depends. It's like a balance between like the language skills and the research skills. Um, in terms of my level, it's very hard to tell because it's like, it's like the goalposts always move. Like I remember like when I started, if like, if I could get to as good as I am now, I would have like been like, yeah, I'll just quit. Like I don't need to get any better, but it's like, it never ends. There's always like, there's n there's no you like you do not know everything in the world there's no there's no way you know everything about every topic you know like when i hear people say like oh man i'm done i like i know like everything now it's like do you know programming language do you know about baseball do you know about gardening or cooking or this or that like there's so many topics so it's like i'd say in terms of like reading comprehension because i do like a lot of reading basically like full have you taken the the jopt i i only only n2 because that's what i needed to do to uh get into my ma and then since then i see i've just been working so it, i never needed any other one yeah the n2 i didn't find that hard because i kind of figured out with the jlpt it's like like i said it's like you could be like super fluent to japanese right but like you just watch sports all day and then, like, if you went and did the JLPT, like, you might fail because you don't read newspapers, you know? Whereas, like, I feel like the JLPT, it's like a lot of newspaper articles and newspaper editorials is what it reads like. So when I wanted to do the JLPT, I don't think I don't think I did any study books or anything to do with the JLPT. I think what I did was in the run up, I was reading like newspaper newspaper articles 
I would like download them onto my Kindle and stuff and read through them. That was it. I think that's all I did. The secret yeah. to becoming a translator. <laughs> Put the newspapers on the Kindle. <laughs> that is it. That's it. That's ninety percent of it. And, and then, one like, punch man. <laughs> and one yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> but like I think with the translator thing, like you said about like the the Japanese skill, I think maybe like a lot of people would think that's the number one thing but you've also got to think yeah. what's everyone reading the reading you're writing so like your your writing has to be good and i think that's the biggest thing i learned in my ma was like i i think when i was starting i was like focusing so much on the japanese and i was like immersing like crazy because i was like I, I have to get like super super good but then at a point when i had to like output english and i had to like write english and i had to like write for all these characters i realized that that was my biggest limitation and so like I spent like a while really trying to get better at that. And I think that's what made the biggest difference in the end. Immersing in English. Immersing in English, yeah. <laughs> the key, the key to Japanese. <laughs> the key to Japanese fluency. It, it is true though. Like if you think about it, right? Like let's say if there's some topic, what whatever like this series is about, right? You have to know about it in the target language. Like you have to know like, it, let, right. let's say if you were, I don't watch baseball, I don't know why I keep saying this, but let's say you were, like, <laughs> translating baseball shows, right? Like, you'd have to know all the baseball terminology. Like, you could be insane at Japanese and, like, know all the yeah. terms in Japanese. But if you don't know them in English, or if you're not good, if you don't know what kind of style people tend to use in the English, it's, like, it's pointless, you know? Someone who does know a ton of about baseball, but maybe doesn't have as good a level of Japanese, but still understands it, will do way better because the writing yeah. is just way better. That's true. There, true. There's definitely, in I guess, sticking with the baseball example, there it's very, it's expressed differently in a lot of ways in Japanese compared to English for sure. But I mean, with you so hooked on baseball, I, I really wonder, I mean, is that the next, the next step in your translation journey, becoming a baseball expert, Ethan? <laughs> no, I literally don't know anything about baseball. I don't know why I keep saying that. Maybe because like people are like, it's like the biggest sport in Japan. But like, they have, there's a lot of like specific words in, in uh, for baseball specifically yeah. in Japanese. Yeah, I, I even noticed it with football because I like, I, I like a watch a lot of football. So when I was over in Japan. You could watch everything on like the zone for nothing. Like over here, like watching football costs a fortune, but over there oh, yeah. you can watch it on the zone for nothing. And like you could watch it with all the Japanese commentary, and like they all had like their own individual terms for all the stuff, like all the different types of shots, all the different types of like plays and stuff. They had like they didn't borrow it from English. They had like their totally own different way of saying it. So it's like you could imagine like if you were trying to like speak to someone about football in Japanese and you were like trying to like in your head translate it from the English like it would not work at all like you need to know the terms they all use that's when you use the asterisk <laughs> yeah that's when you get like you're in in life like we need to get like yeah. if you get like the meta glasses or something like that we can have like pop-ups with like footnotes right. next oh, to what true. we say is that the new <laughs> age of translation you're just gonna yeah. have footnotes ready to go meta's gonna go and take your job away for your for putting your asterisks <laughs> that's the thing though it's like the when you're doing like official stuff like you never get to put like footnotes or explanations or anything in anything right i don't think i know there was a bit of time i think it was like when that tran transition was happening between like the old style and now where people oh. used to get away with that but like now you don't 
so that can make stuff tough right because like you'll always see this there'll always be a decision when there's like a specific japanese thing where they have two choices it's like you can use the japanese word like spelt in romaji and then like cleverly afterwards without anyone noticing like describe what it is in english right which is usually the best way to go because it like reads much more naturally or if there's like if there is a commonly used translation you can just like switch it over to whatever but i had that recently there was like i was working on something and there was this like structure and i was like what is this it's like it was between like two types of buildings and i was like there's no way like it's not this and it's not this and if i say it if i say it's this no one's gonna understand what i mean so i eventually like had to use the japanese term for it and then like kind of easily explain the what ast- it is hide the asterisk hide the asterisk <laughs> just like use a comma and just like kind of naturally explain what the building right. is so the yeah new age way of doing it yeah all, all and you see that a don't lot. know what keikaku means they're they're safe they're safe yeah it's the japanese yeah art of keikaku comma which means making a plan <laughs> oh that, that's pretty that was pretty clean execution right there that's that's basically what i do all day that's what i get paid for do you think um one day like translation work will disappear when you can just use like a computer yeah no it's it's pretty good now i've seen some like ai i know but like especially for like games and stuff like you just can't i i know like so my my stance on it is this because i did do a module on them in uh in university for all those like deep l and google translate they're really all being made for like quick like business emails and stuff like that that that's what they're being made for it's like oh listen we've got this thing this meeting tomorrow with people over in france we need to send them this email we don't have time we've no one here that can like quickly do this small little email so that that's really what they're for and that's why you see like on singular sentences and like stuff that doesn't really need specific context it can be perfect right it can be like really really good but when you're talking about like if you're working on a game with like specific characters who all have their own specific speaking style they all have like specific backstories they might have like skills and buffs and items that all have specific names that have to be like consistent throughout the whole game it all has to be like capitalized a certain way you know uh paragraphs everything have to be formatted a certain way it's like i don't see how especially the context with like backstories and like conversations between people and a lot of that nuance like i just can't see that happening i honestly think that won't happen until you have like ai singularity because like language is like such a human thing it's like we basically make it it's just like our brains just make it and we're just born to do that unless like a machine can like replicate the thought processes of a person and the emotional responses like i just can't see it happening for you you need the you need the weeb ai to come through (laughs) (laughs) so that'll be like a horrible day it's like ai singularity will happen skynet will happen and i'll be out of a job like it'll just be the worst day everything will just be done 
<laughs> oh man, we wouldn't talk about it like that. But I, I mean, I, I guess within that scope, though, is is there anything? Because I mean, within the scope of Japanese specifically, there's so much that you can be translating. And we talked about games, we talked about baseball, which is not necessarily <laughs> as relevant. But is there anything that you kind of want to be going towards translating? I have to say, like, I do think games is the most interesting. I, I think they're so complicated and there's so many moving parts. I think a lot of people as well, they get it in their mind that, like, if you're translating a game, you can see the game and see the way it's going to play out, and you absolutely can't. Like, you basically just get a file of items, a file of character names, you know, a file of dialogue here and there. You don't see them in context, you don't see them in game or anything like that. So it's like it's it's a very tricky puzzle to try and figure out that sort of stuff. So it, I I find it the most interesting. But in terms of like something I'd like to do, I've done games. I've done like console games, PC games, mobile games, visual novels. I got to work part, a small part on a book. Um. So the only thing I haven't done is like audio visual. I haven't done like an anime i haven't done like a tv show i haven't done subbing or dubbing so that would be like super cool i think subbing would be kind of similar to games because you know games is going to be like similar like you've got two lines of text you've got this sort of character limit it's dialogue that's quite similar but the dubbing i think would be a lot tougher because you've got that really tight time limit and you've got to like think about like syllables and how long it's going to take someone to say something and the way they're going to say it right. i think that's really tough i think you know that there's right. a lot more limitations there but it'd be super cool to do like once yeah but i think ethan that's a great place to go and call it right here i think that was amazing going through this entire journey in terms of translation but i know that there's one other thing that you've been going through during your entire one journey other of translation. translation yeah <laughs> you've been translating one message in particular all the way since you started learning japanese and went through translation school all the way up until now and that's the korekara message i know you've been working really hard to translate that one so now i'm going to put you on the spot to go and have you translate it live here so ethan what is your Korekara message. I guess my message is, you know, when I was in university first, I did fine art and I was just kind of doing my degree, doing kind of not knowing what I wanted to do. And I just kind of went to Japan on a whim and then just ended up doing what I liked. You know, I just liked language learning. I was interested in media already. I kind of just went with that. And I obviously applied myself a lot to learn the language. But at the same time, you know, you just kind of have to do what you like if there's something you're really into if language learning is your thing you know don't put too much pressure on yourself it, it really is a marathon when some people try and make it a sprint do what you enjoy just keep at it if you don't enjoy it you know try something else just probably you know maybe i'm maybe i'll like baseball more i don't know but then uh just you know keep going do what you enjoy and yeah i think you'll succeed if every day you're just enjoying yourself and then you won't quit, you'll just keep going. Hey guys, thanks for making it to the end of the podcast. Comment down below, what was the last thing you've read that was translated? Of course, I gotta go translate the patrons here. Cedric, Roy, Faraz, Kevin, Alan, Jaren, Drew, Jack, Joey, Cage, Nighty, Meredith, MKSXN, Polar, Suzu, Yui, Sad Boy, and Britverse Japan.